everyone and welcome to the B2B Marketing Podcast. My name is David Rowlands, I'm the Head of Content at B2B Marketing and I'm joined today by Ari Capianis, who is Director Revenue Marketing at NVIDIA. So Ari, thank you very much for joining me today. Um, we're obviously here to talk about buying group marketing and uh, the possible evolution of ABM. But before we do, could you please just sort of introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about NVIDIA and your role there? Absolutely. Thanks, David. Happy to be here. Um, I run our revenue marketing analytics team for NVIDIA. Uh, it's global. We cover everything from the B2B to B2C to dev side of the house. Uh, that's everything from enablement from the data foundation and analytics to uh, orchestration, account orchestration, consumer orchestration, and the like. So we're essentially pushing, um, if you took the shoe that is the business with marketing on the eyelets on one side and sales on the other, where the laces trying to tie them together, especially for the B2B play, say AI in the data center and NVIDIA, which requires much more of a distinct handshake between marketing and sales. So we basically run strategy thought leadership for our execution teams. Um, we're magnifying glass for our campaigns teams. And then we're eyes and ears on the delivery to our sales development specialists. Um, what our inbound looks like, how to do better outbound and and push on ABX and the like. So a lot going on within the team. Okay, fantastic. So first thing I'd like to kick off with, um, you know, the benefits of ABM are, are very well understood at this stage. So we know, you know, it's, it's less wasted marketing effort. There's greater ROI. Um, you're not wasting time on people who aren't interested. There's a better CX. It's, you know, there's a lot of benefits there and we could spend all day talking about that. But where do you think that ABM can sometimes fall short uh, I think the biggest place ABM falls short is essentially think of it as a learning a bunch of concepts in a higher education program. You're going for your master's, you come out of school, you've learned such great things, the air quote, right way to do things. Uh, you come out, you're ready to, to hit home runs and you, you get that first job and you come in house and nobody wants to listen to you. So everybody has a comfortable bubble. The business is rolling along as it should be and everybody's focused on their their existing priorities and nobody wants to shift up how they do things you know we know for proper abm execution it's a full cross-org alignment play so the marketer that comes in with those novel ideas has to immediately shift from hey i'm going to do abm to hey i've decided to become a politician instead of a marketer because now i have to knock on doors of people that possibly don't even want to talk to me um, you could take sales and marketing and just look at those two parts of the org and talk about the completely different chemical makeups of those individuals. You have a head of sales who's most focused on pipeline and what's happening there and hitting their numbers. So they actually get paid, get food on the table, completely different comp model on average than a, than a marketer. Um, and probably focused on an antiquated view around, say, marketing qualified leads. Now you've got a marketer coming in saying, hey, I want to shift up how we're doing things and just go account focused and, and focused on newfangled uh, acronyms that are new to the sales org and much of marketing, ABX. Um, they just don't have time to listen to that individual. That individual has to do a bunch of legwork, come out with things on a silver platter that doesn't involve more work for the sales and marketing individuals and just allows them to be great at what they do. It's a very, very hard transition and one that I think most people going to a conference and learning cool new ways to execute an ABM and the like just aren't prepared for. 
Mm. And do you think that, you know, targeting an account is actually as targeted as it sounds? Because, you know, your account might actually have several thousand employees when really you're actually only needing to target sort of a handful of key decision makers in the buying group. Because that leads us on to this whole idea of, you know, buying group marketing, which basically sees marketing efforts sort of centered on the those key decision makers in that buying group and not just the whole account. So, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, there's a new realm around that. And I, and I don't mean to say new realm as far as uh, yet another marketing buzzword, which we, we seem to come across day to day. But uh, what I've been preaching for a good while now is actually people-based marketing. or You'll sometimes see it referred to as persona-based marketing. It's essentially recognizing that ABM is great. But if I were to just say, uh, I'm going to target these three accounts in this particular industry, make sure the robotic positioning statement and validation statement are relevant to those accounts with examples from their industry. It's, it's doing a disservice to the actual relevance of that message because you're not taking into account the various members of that decision-making unit within each of the accounts. You've got staff level kicking tires on trials and demos, C-level looking at thought leadership and brand preference pieces, and then say security and IT. They're all very, very distinct groups of people that require a completely different message. So that ABM, ABX play really ends up being PBM, PBX. Um, and then the, the trick is how do you scale that and keep it manageable across a wide number of accounts that, that your sales organization may be trying to get in front of? Mm. And as you say, you know, the, the specific individuals in that account are what's really important there. At the end of the day, if I'm marketing to, you know, Microsoft, I'm not marketing to Microsoft the logo. I'm marketing towards, you know, Bill Gates, let's say, or, you know, whoever's in the buying group. So um, with that in mind, how do marketers actually establish who is in that group and, and maybe, maybe the personas within it? Well, I would say if you're marketing to Bill Gates and you probably uh, pulled a cold lead list purchase from somewhere and, and yeah. uh, you know, there, there's a pitfall right there. Um, the biggest thing now is um, the whole era of predictive analytics, in my opinion, um, you know, baking in. Um, dark funnel uh, data, essentially. Everything used to be first party. Okay, we can identify maybe through Clearbit or something an account hitting our website. They're kicking the tires on our trials and demos. Um, if they filled out a form, we now who know who that individual might be. Sales may have purchased 100 individuals from that organization, but it turns out this one's bubbling up. Um, there's a number of platforms now to actually map out your personas within that organization by role and function and then measure engagement, not just at the account level, but at the intent data level. And that intent data for me is the sweet spot moving forward. Diversification of how we calculate that intent data combined with legacy uh, marketing qualified lead scoring is, is the holy grail. Think of it like a stock portfolio. The more I can actually say, all right, we have our lead scoring that we know how we would score people in the mix based on what they're consuming and what they're doing. We can now actually uh, score intent data from traditionally walled gardens, like third-party review sites and the like, and as well, look at account engagement by keyword cluster research uh, well off-site. You bake that all together, and now you end up with this kind of uh, account scoring matrix based on on lead engagement and, and uh, buying stage. Mm. And aside from intent data, is there any other information you think it's really important to collect on the individuals within the buying group? Well, we're getting, you know, we start talking, collecting data on individuals, it's getting harder and harder. You know, GDPR used to be, speaking from the, the US side of things, GDPR used to be that thing that they worry about in EMEA. And so, you know, we're not going to worry about it in the US. That's an EMEA thing. Um, 
And now the smart people are saying, hey, you know what, whatever the strictest privacy policy is out there, we're going to do that across the board. Um, it's been a very painful transition for me. You know, I'm, I've never been the kind of guy that rushes out to ask legal and privacy if something's okay, because I know what the answer is going to be. But, and it used to be, there's so many technologies out there. I'm not going to name it, but, you know, things like something allows me to send a Marketo blast out. And for all the out of office messages out there that say, hey, I'm not here, contact David. Here's his email address and phone number. And technologies that would automatically scrape that and then drop David into a, a nurture of some kind. Um, it's getting harder and harder because you're not allowed to do those things. Uh, you you have to start thinking more elegantly, essentially. And um, and and I think by thinking elegantly, it converts this from what some people would call spammers. I like to say golden nuggets of marketing information, and actually converts you into curated experiences relevant to the needs that these individuals and accounts actually have. Um, again, a huge, huge shift from where your organization might be now to that model. Mm, absolutely, yeah. And once you actually figure out you know, who you're going to target, um, how can marketers actually produce relevant content for those different individuals? So you know, is tailoring content for a specific uh, individual even feasible, or is the resource for that just, just too much? Yeah, it, it depends. I like to keep it simple. You know, I call it avoid the spaghetti monster mess. Um, it, it, you can go as deep, deep, deep as you want personalizing right down to David. And we found his address and it turns out he makes stuff up here, likes football and um, I'm speaking soccer. Um, and we're going to tailor to that. This is his favorite team. I think the big thing is at scale. It used to be at scale. The, the simplest way is we're going to organize by vertical. Now you've got decision making units. It's a matter of identifying who the key personas are that are typically part of those decision-making units. And you can dumpster dive your data and look at the accounts that you've closed and look at all the contacts that have been in the mix. And you can start to curate, okay, on average, we've got, as I mentioned, a say financial software, a CFO, you've got a staff level accountant, and you've got security that has to approve sign off on anything that's installed uh, in your system. And on average, if most of the time, those are your key personas, you know, I need relevant content for these key personas and then i need it flavored to the industry that these accounts may be might be part of the flavoring by industry at the persona level um is isn't usually that hard you know i think there's a lot of content managers out there that say oh we just don't have the time to build content around this in the past and this is kind of worst case scenario if i had some generic document and nobody had the time to update it to say um healthcare specific, at the very least, the titling or something has to be relevant to healthcare. The the reference to some other account you've closed should be from healthcare. And that's really easy to switch up. Um, the content by persona, a little more difficult. You got to, you know, the IT individuals really focused on security. The uh, C-level individuals focused on saving money and making money. The staff level is the boots on the ground is going to be using the product and you have to convince them why this product is going to free them up during the day or, or be good for them. Those key swim lanes then become your, your relevant content for those personas. Not um, this is the content for David at Widgetco. This is the specialized content for David at Acme over here. Good luck. I mean, you, you'll be spending 24 hours a day trying to build content and then quantifying in an apples to apples comparison is going to be near impossible at that point because they're all different. Mm. And do you think those 
personas are strictly around title or do you think you can actually go deeper than that and go into kind of well i know that the cfo is just going to want the core information so perhaps you change the format or, or something like that yeah most definitely i mean no c-level executive for the most part is going to be taking a bunch of time to dive into a trial or demo or a one-hour webinar or you know a full day's uh training or deep dive of some kind it has to be relevant to that individual that individual's interest and amount of time as well and as well uh their stage of engagement you know obviously the c-level individual that's in um an early early awareness stage is going to be completely different as far as what their content experience should be as far as somebody where you're just trying to push brand preference at a very late consideration stage or purchase stage um that so you build that in and you end up almost with this three-dimensional view as far as content, not just by account flavor, decision-making unit uh, persona, but then the Z-axis that's related to level of engagement and awareness. Okay, fantastic. And it's not just the content that needs to be tailored, of course, but the channel and it's sorry, the channel it's delivered in is also obviously really important. So, how can we establish which channel specific individuals are operating in or are likely to operate in, and why do you think that's so important? You know, yeah, for me, it's uh, it's really that, that buzzword of omni-channel customer experience. Um, more often than not, I meet a lot of marketers that are heavily focused on one particular digital channel. Either it's content syndication, because unfortunately, their measure of success to date is simply net new names added to the database, or it's paid social because it turned out they found a very low cost, cost per lead avenue, but not necessarily quality for the sales organization. The big thing is... David, you might be interested in billboards on the freeway or banner ads. I might be somebody that just mentally blocks all that out because it's just completely spammy. But I read thought leadership pieces and blogs and, and um, heavily do research and search. It's very, very important to have as much as possible all of these digital channels covered because each of these personas, not just by type, you know, C-level versus staff versus IT, but within each of those persona buckets, everybody's different. So you've got to have that full coverage. You know, I've had conversations with people in the past that don't put all your money into content syndication and, and start looking past net new names. And I became the person known as, oh, Ari says don't do content syndication. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you need to be retargeting. You need to be retargeting um, at a paid search level, uh, paid social spearing uh, with some great technology out there at the individual level, uh, just along with your regular marketing nurtures and the like. It, there's a lot that people nowadays are much more savvy around. People expect that if I go to your website, I don't even have to fill a form out. I, my, case in point, my brother did this experiment with a coworker where they put their phones on the table and they spent all day talking about vacuums, just vacuums, just talking about it. Within three days, each of them are getting banner ads for vacuums on the internet. Now that's a little creepy. I don't, I don't really do that, but we've come to the point where it's expected that you dip a toe in the water on any topic in the, in the digital ecosystem, you're going to get some kind of messaging and advertising around it. Some of it you're going to recognize is much more spammy or an obvious ad and you're not going to engage with it. I don't really click banner ads, but more of it like, um, tailored personal researched outreach in a, an email format or pay, very personalized paid social media talking to me and my pain points, much more noticeable. So it, it's important that you're out there on all these channels. 
Mm. And when it comes to, you know, ABM, buying group marketing, any form of sort of really targeted marketing, why do you think it's so important to ensure that marketing and sales are fully aligned and on the same page as opposed to the classic sort of marketing gets the lead and, you know, throws it over to sales? I've got a great example. So um, take a large scale organization uh, like NVIDIA. You can imagine that we've boiled the ocean to some degree as far as Fortune 500 companies and, and just accounts that are in our system. If I, in paid media, run a paid social play and somebody uh, comes to me and says, hey, let's, let's get in front of accounts. And I go and pull a random account list off of um, some third-party site. The question comes up, so did you talk to sales about this? Oh, no, no, no. This is our curated account list for uh, this particular industry. For me, it's flabbergasting, but you'll find more often than not, that's the way uh, organizations work, especially mid-market on up. You've got an individual running uh, paid media over here. The sales org is over there. Some of these people don't even know what a sales development rep is or what happens to the leads past net new name. Um, and if you're spraying and praying against a randomly curated account list that doesn't match whatsoever to what the sales organization is trying to go after and close right now, it's just a failure. You can label it as awareness. That's a, that's a, a term I try and shy away from. You know, anytime I, I, if I didn't want to be tied to pipeline numbers or anything like that, I would just say that what I was doing was awareness. And <laughs> I like to throw out there to what end. Okay. We had did all this. It's awareness. Uh, and we know these leads didn't move because awareness and what, what, what are we doing to actually get them to move? But um, for the sales organization, they have target accounts, lighthouse accounts, named accounts. If you're talking about getting in front of accounts on the marketing side of things, the first people you should be talking to are the people with those existing account relationships. Um, and then the, the second thing to do is if you have any predictive analytics in place, educate those individuals. You know, the Cumulus Network's the first thing we did. And when I was trying to align the sales and marketing there was, hey, sales, give me your target account list for the year. The target account list was some, I mean, we were a small organization. The target account list was in the thousands. Um, I had six SDRs in my team for the entire globe. And here you are with an account list that's in the thousands. Like, come on, run that into predictive analytics and you come up with, say, 100 target accounts that are actually truly in market at some stage that you could actually sell to. So then you have the back and forth education with the sales org. Like, okay, we're going to blanket coverage where it's feasible, this target account list, which obviously a lot of it is just, hey, it'd be great to close Alibaba. Okay, do you have anything going on there? No. Um, but then for the individuals, the individual accounts that are actually identified as truly in market, then we build curated dynamic ABX around that, um, dynamic account destinations, dynamic paid social media spearing mechanisms with the technology we have in place now to, to get that done. Mm. And that awareness thing's brilliant. So if anyone, if anyone's got their, uh, their CEO or whatever <laughs> asking where the money's going, I think, you know what to say, awareness. <laughs> my uh my dream job at some point in time i, I gotta put a linkedin listener out there for this is anybody looking for a, a uh, brand awareness marketer or just awareness marketer sign me up yeah <laughs> that sounds great to me too <laughs> um, but following on from that the whole sales and marketing alignment piece do you think it's 
Do you think it's important for sales and marketing to have shared metrics, or do you think they should still sort of operate according oh, to their own? Oh, oh you're, you're speaking my language now. So um, I tell my team all the time, especially in a larger organization like NVIDIA, there's no meeting you get into in an org is of a certain scale that doesn't have, say, 50 people in it. And all 50 people have differing um, levels of understanding on what should be focused on, not focused on, different egos in the mix. Um, you don't fight that battle. You lead with the data. So I call it dumpster diving data. We'll dumpster dive data all day long and then put that story on the table. So, you know, the individuals, for instance, that want to keep doing content syndication and solely content syndication because they're focused on net new names. As you put that data on the table and show them that, say, 98, 99% of your leads have never moved anywhere, um, you can't ignore that. You, somebody can keep smashing their head against a brick wall if they want. They're not going to. It's going to conversation and you know right back to when i mentioned you have to take on the role of politician you also have to take on the role of biting your tongue and um not worry not worrying about outward uh, just getting credit for things you're basically planting seeds trying to enact transformational change it's kind of like i found the data i found it i put in a consumable actionable insight i'm going to leave it right here on the table so that these people have an aha moment, but an aha moment that says, let's do X, Y, and Z and not talk about what we've been doing that got us to this data point. And then they actually go off and, and start start looking at things the right way. Um, mm. From a data perspective, as far as aligned sales marketing, we've done a huge job in the revenue marketing analytics at NVIDIA to really curate actionable consumable metrics for the campaign managers that's very specific to the campaign side of the house. And then, and then the next step was to actually show them how leads are actually delivered to sales. Because we might have an army of campaign managers all focused in these niche realms. But in the end, for the SDS, the leads are delivered by industry. And so they're selling to the entire product portfolio. They don't care if it came from campaign X or campaign Z. They just know that um, David's in charge of financial services and he's waiting with a bucket for leads to come through. So then the next thing is to teach them to align around the the pipeline number which has always been my focus uh since intact basically whatever that whether you're measuring it by number of opportunities if you have a static pricing model or revenue for the month marketing has to be aligned around the table with sales around that otherwise what you get is the misalignment where you have sdrs not sure if they're going to put food on the table or make it to president's club and marketers kicking back going, hey, I launched another cool sounding campaign, still getting paid, no matter what happens with it. That causes a huge divide. All has to be focused around that op revenue number. And um, yeah. there's some cool tools around that. I'm looking at right now um, a, uh, oh God, the name's escaping me, imperative, really new, very novel uh, attribution uh, reporting where it takes it sets up basically a um, opportunity number for every stage uh, of the life cycle of these accounts. So instead of, you know, when you're saying align around the opportunity number, no matter how much you do that, the world of marketers is still lead focused. The world of sales is still opportunities focused. So as marketers, we say, okay, we're aligned around the opportunity number. And even though we have the technology now to actually help sales, no matter where that leader account is in that life cycle, the traditional marketer will look at it as, all right, I sent the leads over and now it's really on sales to make that opportunity happen. That's not true. But to get past that, if you had a reporting framework that looked at, say, pre-MQL leads, but curated them by accounts 
and basically said by account and product interest, I could estimate the, the estimated number of opportunities sitting on deck and the dollar value associated with that. I now have a dollar value opportunity number for every stage of the life cycle. So very, very cool stuff um, that we're looking at bringing on board. That sounds brilliant. That sounds like a, a topic for a, a future podcast even. But what do you think, um, you know, obviously the, the sort of core focus today is sort of ABM and, and buying group marketing is this, this new idea. Um, and presumably, you know, focusing on that smaller group is going to lead to, you know, greater ROI because you'd be, you'd be more targeted. But what sort of um, impact do you think it will have on contributing factors? So things like CX, renewals, sales cycles, and so on. Yeah, I think we're at the point now where I was just, I was giving a lecture at Santa Clara University's Levy School of Business the other day on, you know, it was a, a topic around what hiring managers in marketing science realm look for nowadays. And the big thing is looking for those individuals that get the fact that the line between sales and marketing is completely blurred now. Um, case in point, the, the technology that we have isn't just for, uh, awareness before you knew you wanted us we're out there just in case coca-cola within arm's reach of desire all the time to okay how do we push people to qualify i'm going to get a marketing qualified lead and send them over to sales and the sales is going to do their thing no the technology we have now is all right you're in an opportunity stage we know that the pain points you're discussing with the sdr or, or the business development rep or the account rep are x y and z and now we can tailor these dynamic experiences wherever you are to talk to those pain points. The holy grail for me, much harder in a large organization like this, if I was back at Cumulus, I, I, I probably have this in place, is what I call sales-driven digital marketing. So case in point, you come in with a, a business domain. We've got tools that enrich your data. By the time you come over to SDS, you're funneled into the right industry bucket and they know everything. They can look at your touch points and see what you're interested in and yada, yada, yada. That's a small percentage on average of the total number of people that come filling out forms on your website. Now, there's some people that say, all right, we're just going to force business email across the board and suck it up that we're only going to get this many people coming through, but at least they're all business accounts. When you're selling to devs in IT, those people don't like to put their business email address into things and, and they're much less likely to fill that out. They're much more likely to be giving you all these random um, uh, personal email addresses. If an SDR is on the phone with a david at gmail.com and they hang up and know, okay, David's evaluating this server solution. They're looking at a competitive offering with this company. They're in this industry. This is all information that wouldn't have been in our system. It's just from that phone call. So David hasn't been in a targeted, flavored um, uh, advertising besides maybe retargeting based on uh, consumption that they did on the website. When that SDR hangs up, we have the technology now to allow that SDR within Salesforce to click a button and trigger an omni-channel customer experience around this traditionally um, siloed personal email address individual. Uh, that's the holy grail with it, you know, we're leveraging Influ2 for paid social media sparing. We're leveraging Hushly for dynamic ABM experiences. We have the ability now with that and six cents for predictive to basically allow the sales individual to drive these experiences towards quality engaged individuals to accelerate that time to close. The problem there then is, all right, we're still talking sales and marketing. That's a blurred line. It's it, it, who owns the budget at that point? And I know as I've brought this up, you can see CMOs and other individuals look at you like, what? But no, they're the closest people 
to these individuals uh, um, to really drive the nail home on, on these personalized plays at that point in the life cycle. Mm. And my final question for you today, and I think we'll, we'll start to wrap up. I, I know you we were kind of joking earlier about the awareness thing. We were saying, you know, oh, if anyone ever asks me <laughs> my money's going on, I'm just going to say awareness. But in some ways, do you think that targeting such a small group of decision makers might actually have some downsides because you've put all that effort into targeting, say, you know, three decision makers and your attempts to win their business are still quite unsuccessful. So do you think that considering that, you know, you still do need to have that kind of brand awareness piece. You still yes. need to be kind of targeting everyone. Absolutely. No, it's absolutely true. You can't put all your eggs into ABX, ABM. Um, you're going to leave crumbs on the table and those crumbs could be heavy hitters. We had an issue at um, Intact at one point in time where our um, predictive engine early on, early intent data, basically was telling us, you know, just call these people, just do this, these people, just focus on these people. And meanwhile, you've got, say, a 500 person trucking company knocking on the door, unable to get somebody to call them back because we were fully baked into this technology and fully focused on these curated experiences. Um, you know, again, referencing that Coca-Cola within arm's reach of desire, it's very important as much as I'm joking about awareness, it's very important to be out there for all these individuals. Cause who knows the people you think might be the decision-making unit in these accounts. Um, you might be missing a good chunk of uh, heavy hitters from the water cooler conversation. And then there's a number of other people, especially in this hundred percent digital era, uh, that we're in now that just might not, might not be tracked from an account engagement perspective and are just off the radar. Mm. Ari, I think we'll leave it there. Thank you for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on, um, for all our listeners as well. Thank you as always for joining us. Um, we hope to see you in the next one. So, Thank you very much and bye-bye. Thanks, David. Pleasure. This podcast was just one in a series of five, all of which will be published over the coming weeks. All podcasts in this series have been used to help create our report with Influ2 titled Buying Group Marketing, taking your ABM to the next level and creating a journey that's relevant across marketing and sales. So if you want to learn more about buying group marketing, download the report for free now by following the link in the description.